When I was in eighth grade, I went to this party. And guys, let me just say, this party was a big deal, okay? At least if you were an eighth grader in Bullitt County in Louisville, Kentucky in 2001, this party was a big deal. Who was born in 2001? Yes? Okay. So guys, I am at this party. I just get there. It's a big deal. There's this guy who's kind of a notorious bully, um, and he kind of comes up to me when I first get there, and physically he is a very big kid, and he's kind of like looming over me, um, and he looks down at me, and he says, what are you doing here? He says, uh, yeah, you should leave. You don't belong here. So like, ouch, right? But thankfully, thankfully for me, at about that exact same moment, one of the girls who was hosting the party, um, and she was very popular, I'm not condoning how culture's approach to eighth grade social hierarchy, but it's relevant to the story, okay? Thankfully, this rather popular girl who's actually hosting the party was coming, was kind of coming up behind this guy, like as he's saying this. And so as she comes up, she comes up from behind him, she says, well, hey, um, yes, he does. He does belong here. I actually, I invited him. Okay? So, it's kind of crazy how the one thing that can make a huge eighth grader's knees buckle is a pretty girl. But luckily, this played out perfectly to my advantage, right? And here's the thing, guys, here's the thing. I didn't deserve to be there. Okay, I didn't deserve to be at this party. And in so many ways, I did not belong there. He was very right in that regard. And that situation, honestly, it could have went a lot of different ways. But thankfully, it ended up going well for me, but because of one thing. And it had nothing to do with me. Ultimately, it had nothing to do with me. But thankfully, I was protected by being brought into the presence of someone else. Someone else, for whatever reason, actually had a little bit of authority and weight in the situation. And so that's kind of a weak illustration, all right? But I'm gonna come back to it here in a little bit. But we're gonna jump into God's word, okay? First of all, we get to study God's word. I hope you guys realize how awesome that is, right? Like, guys, we live in a world that doesn't believe in God, but there is a one true God, and we get to know him. He spoke to us through his word. How awesome is that we, that we get to study it. So if you haven't been here, if this is your first week, we are studying the book of James. All right, so we're going through the book of James. I'm going to be looking at um, James chapter one, verses 19 through 25. So I'm just gonna read it all up front, and then we'll jump in. So here it is, James chapter one, 19 through 25. It says, understand this, my brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So get rid of all the filth and the evil in your lives and humbly accept the word that God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You have to actually do what it says. Otherwise, you're simply fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word 
and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and you don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Okay, six verses, but a lot there. As we try to break it down, I'm gonna start with a question, all right? So here's the question. What does God desire? That's a good question, just so you know. That's a good question to ask yourself. That's a good starting place, right? What does God desire? Figuring that out should be maybe our highest priority. And a lot of times, I think it's easy to try and get God to figure out what we desire, might maybe tell God what we desire or to study his word in the hopes that what we desire magically falls under what he desires. But it's a whole different question to say, God, what do you desire apart from me, unaffected by my personal experiences or my existence? God, what do you desire? And this passage actually tells us, or at least tells us one of the things God desires. Did you guys catch it? Anybody catch it? Verse 20, it says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Guys, God desires righteousness. Do you realize that? Do you realize that? It might seem elementary, but it's very serious. Do you guys realize that the God of this universe expects and desires righteousness from you and from me and from all of us. So that begs a question, what is righteousness? What's righteousness? Well, the actual definition of the Greek word used in this verse says righteousness is the state of a person who is as they ought to be. Righteousness is the condition or state of someone who is acceptable to God. And so once again, <clears throat> Are you righteous? It's what God desires. And with this in mind, are you as you ought to be? Are you in a state or a condition that is acceptable to God? Because once again, God desires righteousness. Whether you've realized it up to this point or not, he desires for you to be as you ought to be and to be in a condition that's acceptable to him. And my guess is, if we are honest, if we're honest, most of us aren't in a state that is acceptable to ourselves, let alone the God of the universe. But because God is good and he knows us better than we know ourselves, I think that's why we get the very next verse. Right, So the one verse says, hey, human anger doesn't bring about the righteousness God desires. And then it goes straight into verse 21 that says, so then it says, get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word that God has planted in your hearts for that has the power to save your souls. Guys, just so you know, God is good. He loves you. He wants to save you. He wants to save our souls. He wants to make us righteous. And so he tells us, get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. Simple, right? But is that the extent of it? If we're not careful, it can be. And I think there's a false form of Christianity where a lot of people spend their lives on this long, self-defeating journey of trying to control the badness in their lives. Now, don't get me wrong. 
There needs to be a conscious battle against the vices and the sin in our lives. But as we battle those things, we realize we are not enough and it's meant to lead us to something greater. There's a deeper truth and it's unfolding in the second half of this verse. So what did the second half of that verse says? Get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. It doesn't say stop there. It says that is added to something else or the pursuit of that should bring us to what it's ultimately about, which is humbly accepting the word that God has planted in your hearts. So we don't just stop the bad in our lives. God tells us go beyond that and humbly accept. In fact, in your, I think sometimes he wants us to try and fight the battle and see how powerless we are to lead us to this other thing. Go beyond that. Humbly accept the word he has planted in your hearts. Now, something that's interesting is this word for planted in this verse. It is the Greek word emphutos. Hopefully I'm saying that right. Emphutos. Okay, and the thing that's intriguing about this word is it's only used once in all of Scripture. In all of God's word, this word is only used once, and it's in this verse. Okay, and so in this word in the Greek means to have something implanted by another's instruction. So James is telling us that there is something beyond us, bigger than us, better than us. It exists apart from us. It is transcendent. And he's saying, hey, it's been implanted in your hearts, in the depths of who you are, and it's been put there by an other. And this other is someone who is also bigger and better and beyond you and transcendent. Okay, so what is this thing that James is telling us has been implanted in us. Well, the verse tells us, humbly accept the word. The word is what God has implanted in your hearts. So obviously, God is the greater being that implanted, implants it, all right? But what is the thing that he implants in us? It's what this verse calls the word. So what is James talking about when he references the word? It's interesting, James only mentions or uses this term word five times in his entire book and four of them are in this little seven verse passage, okay? So whatever he's talking about when he says the word, it's very important and it's central to this entire passage. And so for the sake of time, let's look at two things real quick. The term used here for word is the Greek word logos, okay? Logos, it means word in the original Greek Here's the definition, or the initial part of the definition. It is a word uttered by a living voice, and it embodies a conception or an idea, okay? So words, if you think about it, this is pretty self-explanatory, words embody deeper concepts or ideas, right? And that's very important. But what I wanna focus on with this definition in mind is the fact that for a word to have any weight, for it to mean anything whatsoever, it needs to be uttered by a living voice. Now, I know all of you are in your prime. So at any point in life, you're at, you're at a point in life where you can live life to the fullest, right? This might be hard to wrap your mind around at first, but guys, I truly believe this. If you are existing apart from God, 
then every word you utter with your friends and with your family or at yourself in the mirror, every word you utter, every concept or idea that you introduce into this world is coming from a dying voice. Okay, once again, not trying to be mean, but if if you're not connected to God, then every day isn't a step towards life, it's just a day closer, closer to death. All right? For a word to be worth anything, for a word to have any authority or the concept, the deeper concept and reality that the word is meant to express, for it to have any weight, any authority, it has to be actually connected to the source of life. That brings me to the second point. Okay, this word logos is the same word used in John chapter one. So I'm gonna read to you guys a brief snippet of John chapter one. It's John one, the first four verses. Okay, remember, logos is the Greek term for word. So in the beginning, the word already existed. In the beginning, logos already existed. Okay, so in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God. The word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. So, Do you guys know what this passage is talking about? Or who? Say it loud. Yes. Guys, I'll say this a lot. This will be one of my catchphrases. That might sound cliche. The world might mock you, but it's because people don't believe. This passage is about Jesus. Oftentimes when the Greek word logos is used, it is specifically in regards to the person and deity of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to read this passage again with that in mind. Basically what this passage is saying is in the beginning, Jesus Christ already existed. Jesus Christ was with God and Jesus was God. Jesus existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Christ. Nothing was created except through him. Jesus Christ gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. Jesus Christ isn't only the source of life, but as such, only concepts and ideas and words that have his stamp of approval or that come through him or by him are actually true or have any weight whatsoever. That's what James, I think, is trying to point us towards. So I'm gonna go back through this with these things in mind, okay? James 1, I, on the screen, it's just gonna be half a 20 and 21. But remember, he says, human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. Humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. Remember, verse 20, as it points out, God desires righteousness. That's where he expects us to be as we ought to be, to be in a condition that is acceptable to God. But that's impossible, right? That's impossible. How can I ever be worthy to be in the presence of a good, perfect, and holy God. Well, as we try to fight the evil and filth in our lives, which God commands of us, we should be fighting those things. It leads us to the second part of verse 21, which is so important. He says, then humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. So now that we've talked about word, what is he referring to here? Jesus. Jesus. We're gonna say his name a lot because the world doesn't believe in him. 
but I want this to be a place that actually does. What God is telling us here is that in his grace, he has implanted in our hearts, in the depths of who you are, every single person. He has given us a connection and an opportunity for to, to truly know and have a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ, whom he sent here. That is the word. The connection and the opportunity to know Jesus Christ has been implanted in every single one of us. And then not only is Jesus alive and at work in our hearts, the evidence and the proof is that he's trying to introduce concepts and ideas and realities that are true and life-giving. Any words, concepts, or ideas shaping your life that aren't rooted in Christ, guys, they are lies, they are delusions, and they are extremely harmful to you. Our truth, or our souls long for truth. We were created for genuine life, but it's only attainable. Guys, this should just make sense. It's only attainable if it's connected to the true source of truth and life, and that's Jesus Christ. God offers every single one of us the opportunity. That's what this verse is about offers every single one of us the opportunity to know Jesus Christ. The question is, like the verse says, will we accept it? Will we accept it? And did you notice there was a character, there was a character trait that the verse says we have to have in order to accept Christ? Anybody catch it? What was the character trait? Humility. Humility. You will not surrender to the opportunity you have to know God unless you humble yourselves. But if we humbly accept our opportunity to know God by surrendering to the work that Jesus is doing in our hearts, Jesus becomes our righteousness. Jesus becomes our righteousness. That's what puts you in a state and a condition that is worthy to be in the presence of God. Remember my silly little eighth grade story? It's kind of a weak illustration. But guys, the only thing that saved me in that situation, once again, had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with being brought into the personal presence of someone else. Someone who, once again, for whatever reason, had more authority and weight in that situation. But on a much deeper and holier level, guys, Jesus pulls us into his presence and that is what makes us acceptable to God. I firmly believe when we stand before God one day, we're not gonna be like, hey, did you see all my management techniques to handle all the sin and filth in my life? No, when you stand before God, your one hope, it's just like that girl came around the corner, all right? Your one hope is Jesus saying, hey, dad, yeah, he's not worthy, she's not worthy, to be in your presence, I am and I know them. And I know them. Jesus becomes our righteousness. That is the only way we can be made righteous in his eyes and to Jesus' glory, he supernaturally cleanses us and he purifies us. And some of you need to start there. Some of you haven't humbly accepted the opportunity God has given you to know Jesus. You need to start there. If that's you, I would love to talk to you. Please come find me afterwards. That's what this place is about, truly knowing Jesus. I would love to talk to you. Now, for those of you who claim to already know Jesus, you claim that his personal presence will protect you 
and that he claims you personally as Lord and a friend. Let's look at the rest of the passage real quick, okay? Very next verse, verse 22 says, don't just listen to God's word. Do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. Guys, if Jesus Christ is truly your righteousness and you actually grasp even just a fraction of what that really means, there is such a gratitude towards him. And there is a desire to live how he tells us to live. And God tells us everything in here. Do you care? Do you seek it out? And even if you know it up here, do you actually do it? Okay, Jesus Christ cares about how you spend your free time. He cares about how you interact with your family. Jesus cares about your integrity, whether or not you lie, cheat, gossip. Jesus cares about what you're doing with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Jesus cares about your thought life. He cares about where you find value. Jesus cares about how negative or positive of a person you are. He cares about your friends. He cares about how angry or apathetic you are. He cares about what you do with alcohol. He cares about where you find your peace, your purpose, and your joy. Guys, God cares about these things and so much more. If you care about him, if you're grateful for the righteousness he offers you, prove it. He says things about this stuff that's in your life, stuff you walk through every day. He cares, like, prove it. Do you know what he says about these things? And then beyond that, are you obedient? The rest of the passage says, if you listen to the word, and remember the word is Jesus. He's saying, if you truly listen to Jesus, but you don't obey, it's like looking at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, but you walk away and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, the concepts and the truths and the realities that Jesus offers you, if you stare carefully into those things, it sets you free, you do what, you, you do what it says, you don't forget what you heard, God will bless you for doing it. Our world, like this verse, like our world is full of people who have no idea who they truly are. This illustration of looking in the mirror and forgetting what you look like, I mean, how many... How many people at IU do you think that describes? Internally, lost, right? That's what this verse is talking about. But when you know Jesus Christ, all that changes. All that changes because we stay focused here. We look carefully at his word. We trust him when he tells us to do something. We repent, we fall at his feet. We ask him to forgive us when we fail. And then we're grateful for the completely fresh start. And we rely on his Holy Spirit to make us better next time. If you have an authentic relationship with Jesus, he is your righteousness. Is there evidence? Is there evidence of that, that you're trusting him with your righteousness? Are you being obedient to the things he tells you? And I guess to kind of close out, one other piece of practical advice that I think helps with all of this is to go back to the very, verse, very first verse, verse 19. 19 says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. When Jesus is your righteousness, you will be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. If Jesus is your righteousness, if your relationship with him is genuine, guys, anger, look at anger. This is one of the biggest, most convicting things to me. I get angry too often. But it brings me back to Jesus and the reality that he is my righteousness. 
helps me rely on him and I ask him to send his Holy Spirit to help me actually get better, to not just know it, but to do it. But evidence of us knowing Christ, we won't get angry. And guys, a big problem why we don't turn to this and actually know what it says and then do what it says is because we are not quick to listen and we are way too fast to speak. We go into situations and we talk and we have information constantly pouring in. We think we know everything. No, one guy knows everything. And if you can't speak to it, then no offense, you don't know anything either. So, when we know Christ, let us be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. So, worship team, if you want to come up, um, we're going to pray in a second once they get up here. Um, If you don't know Christ, I'm a firm believer. What God's telling us here is he has implanted in you a connection with him and an opportunity to know him. If you want to know that more, please come talk to me. I would love to get to know you better. No pressure. It has to be genuine on your end. But I would love to have a conversation with you. For those of us who, once again, do claim to have a relationship with him, let's take 30 seconds. Let's pray. Once again, if you haven't accepted a relationship, Just pray quietly. Ask Jesus, should you be considering that? For those of you who do have a relationship, if I said something earlier in that list, alcohol, things you're doing with boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever, and you know it up here, but you're not doing it out of loving obedience, I want you to use this 30 seconds and just lay it before God. Okay, ask him for his forgiveness. Be reminded he's our righteousness. Let's think about how good and holy Jesus is and then I'll pray. Here we go. Yeah, just this awesome group of people. Thank you for bringing them here tonight. God, you created us to know you and to be with you. We all reject you, and we are not worthy to be let back into your presence. But you've created a way, and it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with whether or not the personal presence of Jesus will claim us. And so, Jesus, I'm asking you to be at work in this place. For those who haven't accepted that truth, be at work in their hearts, God. For those of us who claim to already have that, to have your righteousness, Lord, send your Holy Spirit to help us prove it. Help us be a people that wants to know your word and then not just know it, but we're actually obedient to it. We put it into practice. Jesus, this has nothing to do with us and this has everything to do with who you are. And so I'm just asking you to send your spirit to do big things in this place, to do big things at IU and just do things in our hearts like this verse says, God, you're there and you're at work. Help us see it, help us be humble, help us surrender to it. 
Just may your kingdom come. Jesus, I pray this in your name. Amen.